Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. I invite you to uh, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, chapter 7. And as I mentioned last Sunday, the, the writer at this point begins to pivot directions. After an emphasis in chapters 1 through 6 about the warning uh, of the hazardous nature of wealth and materialism, he's now going to begin to try to strengthen our character. It's going to be on character building over the next few chapters. And what was previously a narrative, a story uh, about his life, now transitions to proverbial literature, wisdom uh, in proverbial form. You're going to notice that the first 14 verses of these chapter of this chapter are presented as poetry, Hebrew poetry. Uh, and as I stated when we began Ecclesiastes back in January, uh, pinning down a precise genre or style of writing into Ecclesiastes, it's elusive. Parts of uh, the book are historical narrative. There are small sections of poetry uh, involved. Uh, the opening chapters seem to be widely autobiographical of uh, King Solomon and his experiences. But consistent with what we know, uh, all know about this preacher, uh, this book, all of Ecclesiastes, should be received as wisdom for life under the sun. Wisdom for our life lived under the sun. And gaining wisdom for life is the reason that I, I embrace this book. I, I adore this book as wisdom. Wisdom for life. I, I, I take it with an optimistic mind. As I read it, I'm thinking very positively and optimistically because it is, it's intended to strengthen us. Much of the remaining material, it, it contains proverbs. Proverbs are, are short, pithy sayings, uh, often employ comparisons, uh, sometimes contrasts, in order to amplify a truth, a biblical truth. And in the next six chapters, boy, we're going to land on all kinds of different subjects, all kinds of stuff, everything from fixing your roof to capital punishment. And what's involved, it's going to be an interesting blend of ideas and topics awaiting us. Today, our lesson in verses 1 through 6, it's simply about the advantages of living a life soberly in spirit. A sober life, a, a reasoning life, a, a wise life. And during our scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, the apostle said, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought. And stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. 
So the apostle, the apostles Peter and Paul, they both urge Christians toward a, a moderate, a, a temperate, a, a sober approach to day-to-day life. And it is with this in mind that I will read to you Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. Hmm. Quite a passage there. Quite a passage. One of the, the greatest blessings of maturing in Christ, a process that we're all on, all of us who know Him, maturing in Christ and the knowledge of Him is reaching a point where you no longer need the foolishness of the world in order to cope day to day. No longer need it, uh, uh, the foolishness to, to anesthetize, anesthetize the pain. Before becoming a Christian, you know, many people observe it's commonplace to reach for something in order to cope, either uh, liquor or drugs or sensual entertainment, just to numb the pain of reality. Forget about the heartbreaking disappointments of everyday life. Seems everybody is reaching for something nowadays, a bottle of something. For some, it contains a, buzz, a substance that is illegal. For others, it, it may be a... a a substance with a medical label that has been gotten uh, through falsifying prescriptions, might come from a pharmacy, Uh, those with enormous wealth, the bottle might originate from culture, $300 bottles of wine, membership at the Breakers West Palm. Anybody ever been there? I haven't either. I tried to drive down in there one time with the old white Dodge. They just waved me away. Go to the service entrance. I'm like, I don't have anything to deliver. They go away, go away. I'm exaggerating a little bit there. But regardless, the unregenerated world seems to always be reaching for something, something to cope, some kind of therapy to cope with day to day reality throughout the history of man. And this is for the vast majority of the world's population. What has been easily accessible is sensuality and spirits. That's where the majority of of recreation is is often vested. King James Version calls it the house of mirth. Oh, the dreaded house of mirth. What's mirth mean? Where's Pastor Weiler? He was a good King James child growing up. Anybody know what mirth means? Yeah, gaiety. 
Her gaiety, yeah, uh, it implies a light-hearted frivolity, a superficial engagement, jubilant gaiety. And in context, in this context of both songs of fools and laughter of fools, probably describes the party house or the party barge. When I allude to being sober in mind and in spirit, uh, I mean a spiritual maturity an understanding of why we're here, where that man or woman no longer needs to seek that escape from reality through the party scene as they, as they once had to before becoming a Christian. Peter again stated during our scripture reading, the time has already passed. It's sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they, it's referring to your old friends, in all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation any longer. Like, we don't run with, with the same grow, crowd any longer. And excesses in dissipation refers to our avoidance of that, of that lavish excess in entertainment. The, the lavish excess, the, the house of mirth. And the justification Peter supplies is this. This is the reason we're not to do it. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. You know, similar to what I stated last week, this came off the topic last night, it, it, it rarely fails to astonish me how often and how much of our behavior is supposed to be shaped by our eschatology. Peter again says, the end of all things is near. Consider this. And as a consequence, we are to be sober in spirit. Well, as we look at verse 1, verse, verse one, first things first, as Solomon commends, he commends he or she, maybe it's him or her, he or she, I think. Ruth isn't here anymore. I need her with to, to help straighten me out on this. He or she who has a good reputation is commended, commended. It says, a good name is better than a good ointment. It's helpful for our interpretation to recognize that, that, that in, this, in this statement, both things are good, all right? Both things are good. The good, or your, your translation might say the precious ointment, it, it, it was the type that was desirable in that dry and dusty environment of the, the ancient Near East. You know, many ointments uh, were refined. They were, they were concocted and, and used as moisturizers, and, and, and they had scented fragrances in them. They were, they were, they were basically the, ancient's world, the ancient world's equivalent to essential oils. All right? People would carry them with them. Uh, good ointments were not only valued, uh, uh, they were used uh, not only because you could wipe yourself down when bathing wasn't uh, easily available. They also left you smelling pretty marvelous. 
smelling nice. And the people who stood close to you, they could tell, you know, you put off a nice stink. You do. That guy smells good. But even better, even better than this is the scent of a good reputation. The scent, the smell of a good name. Uh, Phil Riken refers to it as the cologne of character. Yeah, yeah. People in France would say, well, that man puts off a sweet odeur. It means he smells nice. Smells nice. Mm. You know, everyone is attracted to people whose character smells nice. People who have a, a trustworthy, a, a, um, a good reputation. They follow through with their promises. They display loyalty to friends. They're there when you need them. They pay their debts on times. Wisdom is on their lips rather than foolishness. Their aroma is that of godliness. Everybody likes that. Everybody's attracted to that. Uh, Both things are good, but a good name is better than a good ointment. For us men, um, we find a man with a stalwart reputation, we, we are really attracted to that type of man. We like being close to him. In fact, we would rather stand close to that big, hairy fella on a hot July day than even the prettiest girl at the prom. We really would. As iron sharpens iron, so too one man sharpens another. That is true. Being close to people, men or women, with a good reputation. The opposite principle is also true. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. Ultimately, your character building starts. I wasn't even thinking of graduation today. But your character and spirit begins when you choose the company that you will keep. You'll see that throughout your entire lives, every single one of us. Building character in the spirit begins with the company that you keep. Therefore, verse 1 Just as a good name is better than a good ointment, so is the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Again, I view these verses optimistically. I believe at this point we're still comparing two positive events, two positive things, as precious perfume And a good reputation are both wonderful to possess, so also the day of death and the day of birth can both be positive events. But one is better. One is better. That reference to the day of one's death in the NASB, that's a New American Standard, I think that's inaccurate. I don't think that represents it correctly. 
that first phrase, day of one's death, possessive, one's death, implies Solomon is speaking to the day of your own death, in contrast to the day of your own birth. But that first occurrence of the word ones, you'll see in that translation, it's in italics. And we know that that means that that word wasn't originally there in the Hebrew manuscript, but was added by translators to to help make sense. The ESV, the English Standard Version, if you have one of those, I think is also mistaken because it omits the second occurrence of the term ones as it's in reference to the day of one's birth. But that is present in the Hebrew. Are you just confused? Okay, I got a good translation that I like on this. I'm going to read for you uh, either, either the King James or the New King James. I think they get it right when translating verse 1 in this way. Better is, because that's what we're talking about here, the comparisons. Better is the day of death than the day of one's birth. The day of death is indefinite. It could refer to any funeral that you might attend. Anyone who might have died. And that is better than the day of your birth. You follow me? I think it best fits the context. Once verse 2 instructs us to, well, go to the house of mourning. Rather than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the end of man. It is the end of man, and the living will take it to heart. It's kind of hard to instruct someone to go to the house of their own funeral. The house of mourning for themselves. Makes sense? That's why, that's why I think that it's speaking of an indefinite funeral. Any funeral that you might attend. Instead, Solomon is saying that attending a funeral is better than a house of feasting. Because at the funeral, you're going to learn more. You're going to learn more. Death is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. You know, our hearts and our minds, they learn at a funeral. They learn things at a funeral. What did you learn on the day of your birth? Nothing. Nothing. That's all you learned on the day of your birth. So the day of death becomes instructive. It's instructive about a man's character, his his reputation. Reveals the type of aroma that he put off before he died. And, And that is best understood when hearing what people say or what they neglect to say about him or her once they're gone. By what you hear about someone at a funeral, uh, the day of death serves as a tutor for life, and the living will take it to heart. You learn a lot at a funeral. You really do. That's what Solomon is saying. That, that, that is pretty good stuff there. You can learn a lot on the day of death. And the day of death offers a sober reflection that, that just does not occur at the house of feasting. You, you can't attain the same wisdom at a house of of feasting, you know, I I used this exact same reference this week at uh, at a graveside burial that I did middle of the week. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. 
as people shared what they knew about this person, their character traits that were admirable, what made them smell nice while they were still alive, practical in purpose. Furthermore, this is verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. Is it possible for a sad face to reflect a happy and content heart? I'll offer an example for you. I will. The day of my dad's funeral. Yeah. I looked in at his body in the casket where it laid. It was outside of the sanctuary of a, of a good old Lutheran church. Pre, still preaching the truth of God. And in the back of the, a fairly large sanctuary, in the back wall as you enter in, it was glass panes in between the entrance and the sanctuary, all right? So when people would come in the casket, they would situate it there where you would be able to take a final viewing before people walked in to sit down uh, in the sanctuary. And on the day of my dad's funeral, I looked at his body lying in the casket. It was a life well lived. And then I looked forward through those windows into the sanctuary where the preacher was ready. He was ready to go to declare the gospel, not only to our friends and our neighbors, but also to my family members who did not know God. Many farmers were present, and this was the preacher's text right here. John 12, verse 23. Oh, and this guy could preach. He would let it go. You'd be at a funeral, and he with authority would be letting go. I was talking to Steve about this yesterday. This was a great day. John 12, 23, which refers to Christ, he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, oh, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, (laughs) there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Boy, on that day I sang before God and man, it is well with my soul. I experienced how the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. And when a face is sad, a heart also can be glad. That was a beautiful day. Glory be to God. Everything essential that we need to know for life is evident at a funeral in death. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this about life and death from his pulpit there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. 
Quote, The years whirl along so fast that we cannot see the months which, as it were, make the spokes of the wheel. The whole thing travels so swiftly that the axle thereof grows hot with speed. We are flying as on some mighty eagle's wings, swiftly on towards eternity. Let us then talk about preparing to die. It is the greatest thing we have to do, and we have soon to do it. So let us talk and think something about it. Boy, isn't that good? Let's talk about it. Douglas O'Donnell writes this, Death is the great evangelist. Death is the great mentor for diligence, he says, sobriety, love, generosity, reverence, and humility. Death forces the most profound questions to be asked, but mercilessly mocks those who sleep through its lessons. Death, he says, is like a detox clinic. It sobers us up. So it is in the day of death. Next in verse 4, the mind or the heart. Hebrew thought the mind and the heart were, were parallels. Heart, heart wasn't the center of emotion uh, as we see it today in America. The heart then was the, was the center of intellect, of thinking, what you thought in your heart and your mind. So in verse 4 when it says the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of the fools is in the house of pleasure. Rather than asking, uh, where would I rather, where would my flesh rather be? I need to ask my mind, my heart, where I should be. Solomon appeals to the mind, and he tells the mind to think. Think a little bit. Which is better? A funeral that is sober in character, declaring the eternal things of God, the salvation available to man, or a place of frivolity, pleasure, mirth, laughter, and singing. Again, Solomon isn't necessarily declaring in this passage that a godly person can never feast or or lighten our mood and laugh. That's not what he's saying. In the tradition of a proverb, he is establishing a comparison and declaring that one is far better. One is far better. Ask yourself a hypothetical question, all other things being equal. You have one family member from your father's side who's having a New Year's Eve party and another relative from your mother's side who has unexpectedly died and they're holding the funeral on the exact same day. In one hand, you've got the testimony of a life, the proving of the character of that person, an exhortation for everyone present uh, in this day and age, uh, at a, properly instructed that there is salvation in Christ, there's forgiveness of sins in Him. And on the other hand, you're blowing a noisemaker, all right? Doing the Congo dance to the Macarena. On New Year's Eve. Which is better? 
no comparison. No comparison at all. Solomon assures that that is no contest. That's coming from a man who had done the conga a few times, I think. He says, no way. The house of mourning is better. It's better. He says uh, that superficial gaiety says it does nothing to build character. Oftentimes just wastes a perfectly good evening. Which is better? Well, in verse 5, one more, one last comparison for today. Solomon says it is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than the one, uh, for one to listen to the song of fools. That's a contrast. That's a contrast there. This is because the wise man will give it to you honest. He will give it straight. Wise people, they, they all arrive at the same conclusions as the writer of Ecclesiastes does. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. In Proverbs 12, verse 1, Solomon writes, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, and he who hates reproof is stupid. And in Proverbs 17, verse 10, a rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Wow. Again, a good rebuke originates from the mouth of someone wise. It's, it's like the person in verse 1 who has a good reputation. They've got a good name. You're not going to find him or her at the house of mirth joining in the laughter of fools. Because there's just nothing of lasting value to take from it. Nothing to take home and hang your head on. Which is our conclusion in in our final verse. That is the conclusion. Verse 6. In contrast to what you learn at the house of mourning, there is no enduring value in keeping the company of fools. No lasting value at all. In verse 6, Solomon writes... For as the crackling of thorn bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. And this too is futility. All the laughter yields is a bunch of noise. One commentator writes, the crackling of a fire is like the, crack, like the cackling of fools. And the potential of using thorn bushes as a heat source under a pot that, that's futile. That is futile. There, there's simply no BTU energy existing in thorn bushes in order, to, in order to heat up a pot. There's no BTU value. When they burn, they are consumed far too quickly. They radiate very little heat. That's how thorn bushes burn. You can put them under your pot, but your stew will never get hot. It's the same with the noise and laughter made by fools. It burns out quickly, and there's no ultimate benefit to the user. We're done. Let's pray. Father, in your mighty wisdom, You can, through your word, 
exhort us to understand uh, what is truly beneficial to our lives and that which just comes and goes. Lord, you provide uh, both. You provide us instruction and rebuke when needed. You, you, you grant to us celebration and the sharing of our lives together. Uh, Lord, you've given us a great life and to everything there is a season. But as Solomon uh, tells us and teaches us today, uh, Lord, that season of mourning can be good. It can be a day of the proclamation of your truth. It can be an event that uh, makes the heart glad. And Lord, we pray as, as we consider uh, the brevity of life, the brevity of the lives of those when we go to their funerals, we can pray that, that we can understand the wisdom, the goodness of sharing uh, memories of the lives of those who have influenced us for good. Lord, thank you for those opportunities. Thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for the love that we share in Christ, the wisdom that we share through your word. Father, grant that we might be pleasing to you every day of our life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.